Hello, everybody. I'm Dawn Gorchart, your host of Faux Real, a podcast where I interview filmmakers. And I'm super excited to kick off season two of this podcast. I decided to start a new season just to have a fresh start with filmmakers from 2021 films and really to kick off this next set of interviews with filmmakers from Sundance. So I'm super excited that you guys have joined me here. Hopefully you've listened to season one. I have a ton of episodes coming out for this next season that I'm really, really excited about. So thank you so much for joining me. This first episode is with a female filmmaker, Erin Vassilopoulos, with her film Superior that I saw and just loved and was like, man, I really want to talk to her. It is a really female-focused film. It was shot on 16mm, which is beautiful. It has amazing colors that are just popping throughout the whole film. And she even had a female cinematographer, which was really cool. So I was really excited to talk to her all about that. Hi, everybody. My name is Erin Vassilopoulos. I'm the director of Superior. Superior is a thriller drama hybrid set in the 1980s in upstate New York about a woman on the run who returns to her hometown to hide out with her identical twin sister. And the movie uh, premiered at Sundance this week. So I was in film school at NYU and the there's a big project of that. The grad program is like this, this short film you make in your second year of school. Um, and so I was kind of like, that was on my mind. And um, I was kind of like trying to figure out what I wanted to write about. And um, the short was in- partially inspired by two of my best friends um, growing up who were not identical, but fraternal twin sisters. Um, and yeah, I was just, we were really close. Um, I was often kind of like the third wheel hanging out with them. And I think I just like thought it was so cool to be a twin. <laughs> um, I had an older brother who I'm close with now, but um, yeah, I think I just thought it was such an interesting relationship and like so interesting to always have this person around that you're like for better or worse. Cause they, they also like fought a lot, um, but were sort of like best friends and, so that their relationship sort of eventually inspired the short. Um, and so I wrote the short at NYU. I know you were going to shoot in Superior, which didn't work out, but what yeah. drew you to that place? Yeah. Um, yes. I love like a lot of the small towns along Lake Superior and um, I had kind of I think on a visit home, I had been up there and like started scouting around a little bit. Um, and yeah, thought it it would be such a great location for the short, but um, considering that I was living in New York at the time and all of my um, fellow students were in New York, I it just felt like too much of a stretch to try to bring everybody there. So um, I started scouting around upstate New York and and found not surprisingly, um, you know, towns with a similar, sort of similar field, not on huge lakes like Superior, but um, sort of timeless, um, like a little bit post-industrial and just very cinematic, like interesting architecture. And then the other weird connection to Superior is that when I cast Ani and Alessandra Mesa, the twins in the short and 
future. Um, their Cuban grandparents, like when they first came to the U.S., they lived in Superior. Oh, wow. And like, yeah, shortly after meeting them, some of that came up and like their dad lived there for a while. And it was just, that was a really kind of uncanny connection because we were all in New York at that point. That's a weird coincidence. Yeah, I think at some point I just told them because we were talking about the title and yeah, I found that a really interesting kind of spooky connection. (laughs) What else about the Midwest? I mean, definitely I feel like it has a Midwestern flair. Just I grew up in a suburb of Minneapolis and um, especially Vivian's world, I think is inspired a little bit by that tone. And although it's not set or shot in the Midwest. I think there's like a bit of that influence in the movie for sure. I was watching Wild Indian right before your film and it was weird because he said a lot of the same things as you, which um, he also wanted to shoot the film in Northern Wisconsin, but like it just wasn't feasible to bring a whole crew and everything out. Yeah, I watched that too. It's so funny. I can't, he's, yeah, he's also from Minnesota. Jumping back to some of the inspiration for the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you worked with one of the actresses on the script. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't maybe speak for her, but I was wondering what for you, what are some of your like personal life experiences and maybe some of your fears um, and anxieties that were written into these characters and the situations? I think like in all of the characters, there's a little bit of myself, <laughs> which may sound kind of weird, but um. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important to, I find, to find connections, even though there's a lot that's, like, very different from my experiences um, about this story. You know, I'm not a twin, and um, especially with the two women, I think that, like, a lot of us working on the movie found connections to both of them in different ways. You know, the thriller aspects of the movie, you know, I did quite a bit of research about domestic violence and um, my grandmother did work at a domestic violence sort of shelter in upstate New York her whole life. So that was definitely in the back of my head. And I had kind of heard some stories growing up from her that were quite horrifying. But, you know, luckily, like, I don't have, I haven't had similar experiences to Marion in that regard. It was a blend of like the twins relationship, but also I think they would say that we knew we were creating a world that's like a little bit larger than life, which was exciting because it gave us all sort of room to explore and sort of um, play around in this world that's like a little unreal. But there are like a lot of details that are very personal and um, some, you know, yeah, I definitely feel like I relate to both of the main characters in different ways. One funny detail that is very real, the like the tobacco tins in the movie, um, those are actually my dad's. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like oh, he, I love has, that. he has a huge collection of tobacco tins so like that came from growing up with tobacco tins everywhere in these display cases and he has like so many more than are actually in the movie but yeah so like definitely channeling a lot of a lot of details from my own life and yeah. mixing that up with a very heightened stylized world the tobacco tin tidbit is like exactly something I love (laughs) it's like no matter what you make I feel like you always like tie in something from your life like it's inevitable that you're drawing from like the things you grew up around or people you knew or something yeah and I mean some you know the themes like especially what Vivian's going through Alessandra and I talked a lot about that feeling of like going home and like how strange that can be there's a lot in there that I think we all connected to and 
different ways. Well, speaking of things like the tobacco tins, could you talk Mm -hmm. about the production design and the process that went into that? Because one of the things that stands out from this film are, it's just so visually appealing. Like every single shot is (laughs) like just pops. Thank you. Yeah, we had an amazing art department and production designer, Maite Perez-Nievas, who I had worked with on a short film Um, sort of my thesis project at NYU. So we had worked together, which I think was great. We sort of had like started to develop a style that's very like color driven, but also kind of weirdly minimal. Like I really like the things that are there in the frame. You know, I want to really stand out and feel meaningful and intentional. But uh, yeah, a lot of that started even before I think in location scouting, because we were like a relatively independent production, relatively small budget. Um, I knew we weren't going to be able to like completely make over spaces. So a lot of work went into finding the right locations for the film that not only felt of the 80s or like sort of of that era, but also had a lot of built-in production value. So like the bar that Marion and Vivian first go to during the day and then later Vivian meets Robert there. Like that bar is just incredible. Like it already had that wallpaper, like the flowered wallpaper. Oh my gosh. um, Like all of that furniture was just there. Like so much of that was already built into the space. So yeah. wallpaper was like a character itself. Yeah. (laughs) When I found that place, I was just like, oh my gosh. I get really, really excited about locations because I think it also helps bring us all into that world. So like finding the right locations, it's just you it just, I think for the actors too, makes it easier for everybody to like sort of tap into this tone you're trying to create. And that was, that location in particular was like so perfect for the mood. It was a lot of locations and um, yeah, with the eighties, it was a lot of work (laughs) and winter. (laughs) Like they built that garden in the backyard, um, which was really difficult because of the snow. Yeah. It was a big job. Was there just a lot of like thrift store shopping? Leading up yes. to this film. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I met, I would meet them at, there were so many good antique stores and thrift stores in that part of upstate New York where we shot. Yeah. So a lot of stuff came from thrift stores, antique stores, and then some stuff was rented from the city and, and driven up. Well, it sounds kind of like a fun process though, even if it took a while. Yeah. Oh, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I love thrifting. I love going to vintage shops, especially in like more rural areas. I feel like they have better, more unique stuff. Definitely. Can you talk about your decision to shoot on 16 millimeter and uh, having a female cinematographer? So Mm -hmm. I was in, um, I mean, it's, cool as a fact in general and I was thinking um I was in a meeting the other day with a group of women who were advocating for young female filmmakers and we were talking about sort of the stigma of females in more technical roles um Mm -hmm. and how often like younger women are afraid to ask questions or learn equipment more thoroughly yeah I had a lot of opportunities at NYU to work with film and just really early on got like kind of fell in love with both the process and the look of film and um, also sort of like the delayed gratification that goes into it. It's like kind of terrifying, (laughs) but also just 
I think one of the best feelings that you're like really in the moment um, and you, it requires a lot of trust from everybody on set. And um, I feel like it just sort of elevates the moment that you're trying to capture. And then there's like this delay where you're like, there's always this like a little bit of fear, <laughs> like something happened, mm-hmm. you know? but then you get the film back and it's just like the most incredible feeling. Cause it's usually like even better than you remember. And I just, I, yeah, I love that whole process. Yeah. I mean, like we talked about color is such a big part of the movie also that I just feel like the way film captures color is sort of unparalleled. So I love the format and feel really lucky that we got to shoot on film. So Mia Trophy Henry was our DP and she was also a classmate at NYU. Yeah, we worked together on our very first project at NYU and then continued to work together on most projects after that. I mean, I do think it's obviously really important to work with more. I mean, for me, it's like so many of our key collaborators were women and it was both like sometimes a conscious decision, but also just often like the best people, like I felt the best people for those roles just happened to be women. Yeah, it's incredibly, incredibly important. I do think that obviously the person behind the camera really affects the way that characters are captured and represented. Absolutely. I do think it's incredibly important, especially for a movie like this that I think is, it's very female driven and, and hopefully like feels, I don't know, has that feeling in the, in the way it's shot. Yeah, like an understanding and a sensitivity, I think. Mm-hmm. Did you shoot every shoot and process everything before COVID hit? We did. Yeah, we were really lucky. Um, we finished shooting right before Christmas 2019. And so we had, yeah, we had all the footage back. And I had just sort of teamed up with our editor, Jen Ruff, and like COVID was hitting. And I remember like handing over a hard drive and just being like, I don't know what's happening, but at least you have a hard drive like with footage. <laughs> can, yeah. And know. at least editors can just stay inside and do all that. <laughs> yeah. It actually, yeah, it was really, really fortunate timing for us because it kind of also slowed things down. Like before COVID, there was a little bit of a rush to like feeling like we had to finish the movie and start mm-hmm. submitting it. And, and then everything just kind of like, came to a halt and it allowed Jen and I to really take our time with the edit and try like so many different things so I think actually it was like a great time to be working editing a movie finishing a movie and also psychologically for me it was like so good to be able to (laughs) sort of just dive into that world I co-edited the movie with Jen and it was just like the best distraction especially the first months of the pandemic here in New York yeah I feel like this whole last year has been like so hard but the biggest silver lining that I've seen is just like creative people starting to thrive and being able to be isolated and focus on like their inner thoughts and their work and like get projects like done or started or at least ideas going that they didn't have like the capacity to do in the same way before yeah definitely I'm excited I think like so much is going to come out of this moment yeah I think that's so true it like forced us all to stop and slow down and yeah gave people like needed time like a COVID renaissance. Mm-hmm. No media art. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can't wait. Can't yeah. wait to go back to a movie theater. Oh, that's like what I'm looking forward to the most. Well, I have two last questions. Um, 
One, the first one is what is your advice for young female filmmakers? Oh, good question. Um, one of the best things about this movie, I feel like I've already talked about it quite a bit, but was just like these collaborations that I had and continuing collaborations from the short and from school. Our editor had also been like one of my professors at NYU. Yeah, I think like my advice would be to find because it takes so many people to make a movie, even a short film. Um, like find those people and like keep them close and like yeah just foster those relationships and those collaborations because I think like so much can come out of that and um, I think this movie is like completely a testament to that in how it came together and it yeah it was really just so much fun to get to spend that you know that amount of time with friends and and each like everybody when it you know like there's parts of everybody in this movie. It all shows up. Find your collaborators and make stuff. <laughs> Don't be afraid to, yeah, keep, and also keep trying things. I love that. What is something you've learned about yourself in making this film or a way that you've grown afterwards or during? That's a good question. Oh my gosh, so many things. <laughs> it was so hard. <laughs> I mean, in a lot of ways, the shoot was really like the hardest thing I think I've ever done. I think one thing I learned is like, I try to like control everything and like on a film, like on a feature on the shoot, there's just so much that like is happening last minute or like, there's just so many pieces that need to come together that there's like a lot. It's almost like there's a lot of chaos up until the moment you start shooting. And I think I learned to like not fear that so much. And like that, I think on the next project will become like part more of part of my process is I like to be like very you know like have a really solid plan and like shot list and try to like really control a lot of things but I feel like I really learned to embrace the moments of like spontaneity on set and yeah not fear that and see that it actually can like add a lot to the movie in surprising ways that you couldn't have planned so I guess, embrace part of the chaos. (laughs) I definitely learned on this project. I forgot. I do have one more question and it's just a fun one. (laughs) So um, one of the twin sisters works at an ice cream shop. And so Mm -hmm. I was wondering what your favorite ice cream order is. (laughs) My favorite ice cream order? (laughs) It's funny. Um, I really like coffee ice cream. Yeah, like coffee with some kind of chocolate. Well, thank you so much, Erin. It's been so nice to get to talk to you. I really had fun. Thanks for having me, likewise. Thank you guys for listening to episode one of season two of Faux Real. I wanted to give a special thanks to Sundance. I was the recipient of the Sundance Press Inclusion grant, so these episodes with Sundance filmmakers are made possible thanks to that grant. Um, and the music is Talene Kali's Lost and Bound. And you guys should totally go check out her music. She has a special Valentine's Day song and Valentine's Day merch out that's super cute and cool. Um, and lastly, I just want to give you a heads up that next week on Valentine's Day, I'm so excited. I have a very steamy episode coming out. Um, if you watch Sundance films, you might know which film I'm referring to, but I'm very excited for this conversation and thank you guys so much for listening.